All right, let's, uh, let's jump into the text this, this afternoon. This is the story, but let's get the backstory to this story. We could picture ourselves in that setting. It's an exciting time, very exciting time, the most exciting time in that culture, Passover. Passover lamb is about to be slain. People have looked forward to this all year long. Cousins are seeing cousins. Family is meeting with family for the first time in a long time. People have traveled sometimes weeks to get there. And here they are all along the hillside, the Judean hillside surrounding Jerusalem, going from probably sometimes ten times the population that it started with. And so there's hundreds of thousands of people in this city, and people are actually living in booths and in tents all along the hillside. And the streets are populated with people, and no doubt people on the sides of the road trying to sell things, and friends, loving friends. And just up the street, day's journey in Bethany, There was a dinner the day before and Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a big meal for for Jesus and the word spreading quickly that Jesus is coming up to the feast. And everybody is anticipating Jesus is coming to the feast and he is meeting with Lazarus. A few months ago he raised Lazarus from the dead and everyone has seen Lazarus. They know this is no ordinary time. On the way down, he has healed a blind man. They know the prophecies that repeatedly say that the Messiah will heal the blind. This has not happened yet. And so everyone is talking about this. The the word spreads like wildfire, wildfire before there is any news media. The news is out. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. Will they receive him? Will the leaders receive him? Will they reject him? No doubt they're singing psalms. The amazing thing is they come to this psalm, and as Jesus comes into that riding on a donkey, in answering prophecy, the people latch on to Psalm 118 in their hymnal. And they sing it, latching on to prophecy. And if they would not have sung it, who would have sung it? The rocks. You would have had a real rock song. (laughs) Psalm 118, as the rocks cry out of Jesus the Messiah. Why? What's so special about Psalm 118? What's what's going on? What, What is all that's moving and shaking here? Like, you can feel the tectonic plates of of power moving. And as we go through our text today in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, and try to fill in some of the missing pieces from the Old Testament, from the Tanakh, and fill in what Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit, we will be able to really understand and grasp the importance of Palm Sunday, or what I could say, Psalm Sunday, Psalm 118. So let's jump into the text here, okay? Romans 1.3, Romans 1.3, if you will pause for just a moment, we're going to get to verse 3, but, but I, I, I wanted to recover some of the ideas that we've gone through so far in a quick summary, 
as we get to Romans. Okay, so a little Romans review. We're not going to do this every week, but maybe every once, once or every month or two, we'll, we'll need to try to remember where we've come from uh, in our study in the whole book of Romans. Okay, so let's just look at these answers to these questions. And those of you who are going through our Bible study, uh, either with Micah or in our small groups, know you have to answer and ask the right questions as you're studying a book of the Bible. And so we have several questions that we've answered already, and I just want to read those in front of you. You can fill in the blanks for yourself, and we won't take a lot of time with them. But the first question is, what? And there's several questions of what that we could ask of the text. What is the text about? We've answered that in summary form. Romans is about being right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You could summarize the book of Romans in in that phrase, and we'll flesh that out as we go through the book verse by verse. It is about being right with God through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we gave some attention to this second question, well, what is the, the book of Romans? And we tried to understand the genre, right? That fancy word that just talks about the type of writing that it is and put it into its context as far as the type of literature. Is it a cookbook? No. Is it a comic strip? No. Is it narrative? No. It's not telling a history. It's not telling a biography as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. In fact, it is a letter, right? So what is it? It's a letter written by Paul to the Roman believers. Okay. Um, We could go into more of all of these. When was it written? It was written about 57 AD. We figured this out a few weeks ago as Paul finished his third missionary journey. So he is finishing his third missionary journey. He's coming back to Jerusalem to leave off some finances for the needy church there in Jerusalem that he's collected. And he's trying to get kind of support to go to Rome as a launching pad to go from Rome to Spain. And so that gave us some understanding of the why. First, the who. Okay, who wrote it? Uh, Paul wrote it as an apostle by office. That was his, his office, an apostle, one of the twelve. But he identifies himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ who is set apart for the gospel. This is our writer through the Holy Spirit. Why is he writing? Why is it so important? Well, it's kind of the grace groups of the early church as they look at all the epistles We find one of them here that that Paul is anticipating going there, but he's not been there yet. So he hasn't planted this church, he hasn't visited this church, he knows a lot of the people in that church, uh, but he's kind of broadcasting beforehand his gospel and making sure they're on the same page. It's essential to every church to know and study the book of Romans. It's essential for you as a Christian to know and study the book of Romans. And so that's why he's wanting to make sure they're on the same page as he heads to them with the gospel and hopes, by God's grace, to go from there to Spain. We're not sure that he ever got there. History doesn't really tell us. We think he got his head cut off there in Rome. We know he spent time in prison there. That's the why. Okay, so now we kind of understand our Roman reminders where we're headed in this letter. Let's move into verse 3. Verse 3. Look at the gospel's precious person. Okay, so you have the Bible in front of you. This is Romans 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul says he's set apart for the gospel. He is set apart for the gospel. Verse 1. Verse 2 
picks up the last verse, the last word of verse 1, and talks all about that word, the gospel. The gospel is what he prophesied beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What is that about? That is about his son. And so verse 3 is all about his son. So verse 2 is all about the end of verse 1. Verse 3 is all about verse 2. And and you can see how they logically build on each other. This is what Paul does. And then we're going to get to verse 7 and be like, holy cow, that was all one sentence. And it was all building ideas on ideas on ideas. Okay, So as we open one of the leaves or the flowers together today, it's just helpful to take a moment and think, okay, where is this on the tree? Okay, now I see where it's on the tree. We can jump into that. I summarized it this way, and you can summarize it any way you'd like, but I summarized it this way. Verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 2, these are all about the person of the gospel, Jesus. Verse 2 is prophecy about the person of the gospel. Prophecy about the person of the gospel. We looked at that last week. The gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So we could use the word revelation. Verse 3 we're going to look at today, and and we could summarize that as the parentage, the the parents of this special person. The gospel's precious person is Jesus, but we're going to look into his parentage, his genealogy. That's important. The parentage of the person of the gospel is royalty, would be our word there. And then next Sunday we'll see verse 4. Power. There's great power in this person of the gospel. And our word there is what? Resurrection. Good. Which is Easter Sunday, right? Perfect timing. And so we'll look at that next Sunday. But today we're going to look here at this this parents. Who are Jesus' parents? And why is that important? Uh, It is important, important for us to understand, and that's how it fits into this royalty, this king of kings, Jesus who is descended from David according to the flesh. Okay, so you see in your notes there, we just have three questions, uh, three, three brief points that we'll, we'll look at concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. And this is going to help us, okay? But you've got to stay with me. Uh, this is important scripture. It's an important Bible doctrine. It's an important teaching. And it's one that we all kind of need to be on the same page with, Okay. So let's, let's jump in here. Number one, the gospel is about this person and his parentage, first of all, is that he's the son of God. Secondly, the gospel about this person, Jesus, shows that he's the son of who? David, the son of David. And then thirdly, we're going to put those together and see why that's important for you today and why it's comforting for you today and why it's applicable to you today and tomorrow when you go to work to see that the gospel is concerning Jesus who is both Son of God and Son of Man. In one person, two natures. Okay, So that's how this is going to kind of unfold. We're going to have to look at a few different scriptures to put that together as we dive into verse 3 here. So first of all, the gospel is concerning Jesus, the Son of God. The gospel is concerning Jesus, the Son of God. Well, what does this mean? Right? You could just look over that verse, right? We look over that verse and, and it would be very easy to not let that jump out at you, right? It says, concerning his son. Who is the his referring to? 
This is one thing I don't like about the ESV. I don't know that I'm going to change it to the NASB because of this, but the NASB capitalizes the pronouns for God. The ESV doesn't capitalize, and I like capitalizing the pronouns for God. Um, anyway, so concerning his son is actually referring to who? God. Yeah, so you have your Bible there. Look at verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 1. It has to go all the way back to verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God, which he, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, God's son. You just read over that and you may not think, wow, this is telling me something about Jesus, the promised person of the gospel. Jesus is his son. Who is the he? God. Jesus is the son of God. The gospel is concerning Jesus, the Son of God. Well, what does Son of God mean? As God's Son, Jesus is God. As God's Son, Jesus is God. I'm a human. I am very much a human, okay? And what's interesting is I have a son. And and because I am a human... My son is human. Um, if, if you are a cat, your son is a kitten, a cat. Yeah, that's just the way it works. And so, and so this is what this means, right? God has a son, and, and the son of God is God. He is divine. Now, there are many clear statements of Scripture that, that say this, right? We just ended with one when Thomas bows at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. And you see all throughout scriptures, Jesus never corrects that. And, and so by revelation, he is saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is claiming those things that only Yahweh would claim. And so we find Jesus all throughout the Bible as Yahweh. So Jesus is the Son of God, meaning is God. Now, this is also important for us today. When did Jesus become the Son of God? All right, we need to be a little careful with this. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. I'll turn over there, but I'm going to put it on the screen too because it's just so, so important. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. You find here an interesting text that talks about this Son of God concept in the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament concept. You realize that Jesus is called the Son of God in the Old Testament. Okay, so here you have actually the psalmist talking about the Messiah who's talking about who's talking to God the Father. I will surely tell you the decree of Yahweh. Capital L-O-R-D. He said to me, who is that? You are my son. Yahweh himself in the Psalms is talking to his son. You have the son of Yahweh in Psalm 2. Now, it goes on and talks about him having the earth as his possession. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord and do homage, bow down to the Son of God. 
It's telling all the nations to do this. Of course, we read in Revelation, they are going to do this as they bow down to Jesus. Or his wrath will be kindled and you'll perish in the way. Well, verse 1 says, Why do the nations rage? The people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel against the Lord Yahweh and his Messiah. It's talking about Yahweh's son is Yahweh's Messiah. The son of God is the Messiah, the one who would come in the world. And so Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah, the anointed one. And note, of course, he's going to be called the the anointed one, the son of God. uh, As Psalm 2 says, but this is before he even came into the earth. And so even in Psalm 2, hundreds, even a thousand years before Jesus, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, a thousand years before he took on human flesh, a thousand years before he rose from the dead. Now, it does say here, at one point, he will be, um, I'm sorry, where is it here? Uh, Today I've begotten you. The idea there is I've given you life. When did the Father give the Son life, human life? This is actually talking about what we'll celebrate next week, the resurrection. When he brought him back from the grave. And that's when all the nations started worshiping him as exhibited. Exhibit A right here. All the nations are in this room to this day. And that's a fulfillment of this prophecy. Okay, I I would love to give more time to that, but we need to keep moving on. With with all of these, I'm going to just read most of them. Please take notes. There's a lot of verses that we'll just read a few of them. But it will give us understanding into this idea of Jesus being the son of David and the Messiah. Also the son of God. So he has eternally been the son of God. You have eternally had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is not a new thing. God himself has eternally existed with no need for you or I. No need for any creation whatsoever. He is perfectly content to be himself in three persons, one unity, forever. This is an amazing concept. The Son, the Father, the Spirit, eternally unified together, enjoying company. And what we need to do is today is to try in this moment of time to, to move aside all the pains, the sorrows, the bills, uh, the pressures, uh, everything in life that is weighing on you. And, and remember... That, that you are in union with that Son. You are in union with the Son of God. Uh, as you believe in Jesus, the Bible says that you are in Christ. You are in Christ. And so when everything else is dead and gone, when the nations are no more, when the pressures, the pains, the losses, the gains, the stresses, the wars, all of those things are gone. If you could, just try to wipe them all out of your mind right now. You will still exist. And if you're in Christ, you will be eternally content with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, there's going to be a lot of other things going on, 
but but you will have eternal joy and contentment in Christ because of the gospel. And so whatever's the pressure of life that tries to get us to focus on other things, it's the, the gospel that allows us to find, you know what? This is just a moment. It's fleeting. Eternally, I'll be with Father, Son, and Spirit, and I know that they are not, they need nothing. They need nothing. And so I need nothing in them. God is enough. Uh, he, he, he is enough. But he doesn't stay as uh, eternally God, the Son. He does come into time, and what does he do? He takes on human flesh. He takes on human flesh. And so this verse in Romans 1 verse 3 really deals with that, taking on human flesh. Number two here, the gospel is concerning his son, the son of God, who is also the son of man. The gospel is about the son of God, but the gospel is also about the son of man. Concerning Jesus, the son of who? One specific man, the son of David, the son of David. Well, who is David? We like the stories of David ever since we were a little one, right? David is the Israel's shepherd boy, right? You see him scampering out there and killing the lion and the bear and being looked over by his bigger brothers. And we like that underdog story. And yet he's chosen by Samuel to be the next king as Saul is replaced And he turns into Israel's greatest king through wise rulership, but also as a valiant warrior. God uses him to expand Israel and really defeat all of their foes. A valiant warrior. And perhaps we know that most of all. How many of you uh, went and saw that in, in Lancaster the David show. Did anyone see that? Okay, several of you, and I just showed it in our backyard. What are they doing this year? Anybody know? Okay, I'm sure we'll we'll do that again, or we'll do it in our yard, whatever. But it's it's uh, it's great to see the picture. But that, there was these these war after war after war, and you got wow, this was a a man of warfare. But he was also Israel's worship leader. And we have all of these psalms from David. And they're beautiful psalms. This man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And you're like, wow, what a great story. And then, but then look at the last one. Israel's failed father. He failed as a king. You, you follow the story. It doesn't end well. It's because of his leadership that there's civil war after him. He does not leave a united front There's the infighting straight from Solomon and the nation is torn after that. And so we find David was not a perfect leader by any stretch of the imagination. But during his time period and the years after that, you find promise one like David who will supersede him. All right, and so that's where we have David's son. Who is David's son? Well, look at all of these verses. This is fascinating. And, and so I have a printout of like 300 messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. And if you go through all of those, you can categorize them. And several of them have to do with this one part of Jesus. 
that he is the son of David. He is Messiah because of his link to David. And so as you open your gospel, you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, uh, Jesus, the son of David. It starts off right there at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. This is an important part of the gospel, that he has descended from David. And so Matthew and Luke show how that Jesus' lineage goes through David for both Mary and Joseph. Both of them are related to David. So with Joseph not being Jesus' earthly father, but his legal father, his adoption, he's still son of David. And then as Mary gives birth to Jesus, also through David's line. All right, so let's just look at a few of these and then we'll tie this all together. Let me read a few of them in front of you here. One with an eternal kingship. Who is David's son? It was prophesied in his life that there would be an eternal kingship. So you find this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, meaning when you die, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. That throne will be established forever. There will be an eternal rule from this person who comes from David. Psalm 89 says the same thing. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. So there will be this seed from David, this descendant of David, who will have a lasting and an eternal kingship. He will be a just ruler. We all want a just ruler. Listen to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what the eye sees, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. And so the idea of justice being blind, right? He, he, will, he will judge equitably and fairly. And so a lot of the references have to do with that. Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6 as well. Thirdly, he will have an international rule. And this is why I say this so clearly points to Jesus. Isaiah eleven ten. In that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. So much in there, but, but we need to keep moving. Uh, the, this, the nations will come to this this one who's come from Jesse's seed. So this descendant of David, descendant of David, descendant of David. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, same thing. He will have peace and prosperity in his rule. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel, the house of Judah. In that day, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. 
And then I love this one, this last one. Look at this. One who is able to be an everlasting high priest. Psalm 110 is, is just so fascinating. Um, and, and I can't go into all of it, but it's another one of these that like, you just have to believe the New Testament. It, like, it just so clearly points to Jesus. Listen to this. The Lord, this is David talking. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord. Who is David's Lord? David has a Lord who is talking to Yahweh. And so we have God the Father talking to God the Son. And says, until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet, Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Verse 4 says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, Messiah, are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this descendant of David will be an everlasting ruler, rule over the nations, will be an eternal high priest. His ruling will be peace and prosperity. Justice will be finally brought to earth. Doesn't that sound awesome? It sounds like a political stump speech. And that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was as he comes into Jerusalem and they cry out, Hosanna, son of David! This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one who will bring peace. Peace to my heart. Peace to my life. They didn't put it all together. They didn't understand that the way he was going to do that was through the cross. But this is all fulfilling this son of David. And so as Paul begins this letter, he's got to recognize this son of God is, cannot just be the son of God. He has to take on human flesh. He has to be the son of David to fulfill all of these prophecies. Let's bring this to our last point here, the reason why this is so important. Because this must be the case. Number three, the gospel is concerning son of God, son of man. Jesus must be the son of God and the son of David. Because we need a divine king who will rule forever over all nations with a rule of peace and prosperity. That's what I want. That's what we need. And that's what we have in Jesus. We need a human king who can take away our sin. He can not only be son of God, he must be son of man. And actually in the early church, what they doubted was Jesus's, the, the, the first false teachers did not doubt Jesus's divinity, that he was God. They doubted that he was man. They're like, okay, this was an apparition. This is just a God. This, he did not have human flesh. And so John had to say, listen, if, if someone does not believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, they are antichrist. And, and he, he just calls them out there because I have touched him, he says in 1 John, the letter of 1 John. Right? And so all of these letters are explaining, like John just talks about it. He just tells you the story. This is what happened. Jesus came on a donkey and everybody, but he's not telling you all this backstory. This is the explanation of it. This is why this is important because the gospel has come. Jesus has come. So Palm Sunday declares today that we have this in Jesus. We have this eternal king who rules in our hearts. And that's what you and I need. He will earn it, Psalm 119, 118, by being bound. By being bound as a festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. 
And so as they cry out, Oh Lord, do save. Oh Lord, do save. They're, 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 they've got that part. Um, and it's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. But the previous verse says the, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so Jesus would be rejected there. And he will be the Son of Man, not just the Son of God who receives all authority, the high priest who can hear us, but also he will be the Son of Man who dies for our sin. Let me just apply this in one point and we'll be done. Um, this, is the, this is why this is so glorious. This is so glorious because Jesus is our King. He will rule forever, but also because he became humanity. He took on human flesh so he would know you. He would know your temptations. He would know your pains. He would know your trials. He would be an empathetic high priest. He would have the order of Melchizedek. It's prophesied in the Old Testament, but it's explained in the New Testament. The old saying uh, that, and you see this, politicians, people in power, they get out of touch, right? The wealthy elite, it's like, you have no clue what people are going through right now. You have no clue the way you talk, that you, have, that you know what people are going through right now. And so you hear the great princess who lived this spoiled life of luxury after hearing the peasants had no bread. How did she respond? Oh, well, let them eat cake. Right? Yeah, just have no clue of being without, without. Right? And so, of course, they, you know, if you don't have bread, well, then eat the cake. Jesus is so powerful, so wealthy. That, that we would think, well, is he out of touch? Does he really, does he really get me? Can he really understand what I'm going through? What this tells us is that the Son of God is Son of Man, and he walked in your shoes. Uh, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your trials. And he is standing at the right hand of God, waiting for you, waiting for you to pour out your heart to him. And he's going to hear... Uh, you, each one of you today, in all of your different languages, right? Uh, many of you English, but you can say in any language you want, any time that you want, he's just waiting for you to pour out your heart to him. And he's, he's got all the resources of the Father there, the right hand. What a comforting thing that is. Johnson Oatman was an insurance salesman in his career. He also helped with the family business. He grew up in Jersey. Uh, he, he loved church, though, and he loved to hear his dad sing. Uh, he continued in church. He would often preach. He was not a pastor. He just was a hard worker, um, insurance salesman. Um, he's not known for that, though, what he did to make a living. Uh, he's known for what he loved, which was writing hymns. He wrote over 3,000 hymns. And one of them really gets to the heart of this, and with this, we'll, we'll close. Uh, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our souls' diseases. No, not one. No, not one. No friend like him so high and holy. No, not one. No, not one. Yet no friend so meek and lowly. There's not an hour that he's not near us. No night so dark, but his love can cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Was there a gift like the Savior given? Will he refuse anyone to heaven? No, not one. No, not one. Beautiful song. 
Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Can we sing that together in closing? Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Okay, now that you know it, let's try it again, okay? Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. He's waiting for us to come to him. No, not one. No, not one. Let's sing it together again. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Right, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's come to him. We'll have a few moments of quiet where you can come to Jesus. And let me encourage you to do that. Bring all of your trials and your cares to this one who is son of God. He can take care of it. He is powerful, but son of man, son of David. He is ready to be your empathetic high priest. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be in the back lobby for a few minutes and a few moments while we all pray. I'd be happy to pray with you and then we'll close in a hymn together.